Welcome to Ask Prop Brewer. I'm David Brewer, Acting President and Academic Dean at Cornerstone Bible Institute in beautiful Hot Springs, South Dakota. I also teach Bible, Theology, Hebrew, and Greek. Thanks so much for joining me. In today's session, we'll be doing part three of Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. We'll see if we can finish it today. If we don't, uh, no big deal. Okay, so we're going to pick up on Isaiah 9, verse 6. Now this, the word for, we talked about how critical that word is at the beginning of Isaiah 9, 6. So all these events in the previous verses are ultimately based on this final cause. And compare Psalm 2, verse 7. So this is the third in a series of verses beginning with the word for. So let's uh, look at this verse in, um, in some detail. So there's joy because God has saved the people from oppression, and he accomplishes that because he's put into war. But how will he succeed in doing that? It's not so easy to put an end to war. Well, he will do it by the coming of the Messiah Jesus, who is God and man, fully God and fully man. So we learned six things from these verses about Messiah Jesus. And the Messiah Jesus, another way they say Jesus Christ, Christ is from the Greek, Messiah is from the Hebrew. So number one, a child would be born of a virgin. We talked about that in Isaiah 7, and we'll look at that in more detail later on, as I promised. And please look at Matthew 1, 23 and Luke 1, 26 to 35, more about this birth. But the child occurs first in the Hebrew, possibly for emphasis. And this is also a prophetic perfect. Remember we talked about that? It's in the past tense. The prophet is so sure they will happen that he puts it in the past tense. And this is, we see this in other places. And the son would be given. So John 3, 16 is a key to understanding this clause. Jesus is a uniquely begotten son. And Jesus is also a son of David. He's a legitimate heir to David's throne, King David's throne. Now, the third thing we learn from these verses about Messiah Jesus, the government would be on his shoulders. So he would rule over God's people. And look at Micah 5.2. And this figuratively refers to the kingly robe to be worn by the Messiah. Number four, he would have four descriptive names that would reveal his character or nature. Number five, the Messiah Jesus would sit on David's throne and can Luke 1, 32 and 33. His rule would have no end. Are you excited? I hope you are. So number six, this would be accomplished by the Lord's, the Lord Almighty's zeal. And the coming of the millennial kingdom depends on God, not on Israel. So this statement only occurs in two other places. In 2 Kings 19.31 and Isaiah 37.32. So the word zeal is an intense devotion to and love for God's people, which leads him to vindicate them and to keep the promises he gave to David and to Israel. Now, I don't always keep my promises. That's a little bit embarrassing to say that, but it's just being honest. But God always keeps his promises. So the names given to the child are usually called throne names because they're the names that a king would receive at his enthronement, and these names reveal the king's character. Now, the first name is uh, Wonderful Counselor, and Wonderful can also be translated exceptional or incomprehensible. If you look at Judges 13, verses 15 to 18, that's when Samson's mom received a special visit by an angel of the Lord. 
which also happened in Judges chapter 6 and many other places in the Hebrew Bible. Christ was wonderful in his teaching, in his life, and in his character. And Jesus is also incomprehensible since in him dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he is God himself. Colossians 2, verse 3, and many, many other places. This could also be a reference to the king Messiah's ability to devise military strategy. Compare the context in verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 9, and the following title, Mighty God. So the false wisdom of Israel's misguided leaders should have created a deep longing for one who could give divine perfect counsel. So these titles describe the king's wisdom in resolving interstate disputes. He would have the political skills to perfectly govern. So sitting and ruling upon David's throne would require great wisdom. See Isaiah 11 verse 2. He is also called counselor since he came to earth to reveal his father's will mind and heart. Now in Mighty God, the next uh, uh, name given for Jesus, in Isaiah 10, 20 and 21, and Isaiah 31, 3, this designation is use of God, use only of him. So mighty, he's like the hero or the mighty one, he's a divine warrior, and this asserts the king's power. We know that Christ is all powerful, he's omnipotent. And he's an everlasting father, in other words, he's the father of eternity. He's the source of eternity. He's the origin or author of eternity. That, that's enough to blow your mind, isn't it? Look at Job 29.16 and Isaiah 22.21. So Jesus is a creator of the world. And he's also, um, as, a, as a father, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean there isn't uh, God the Father. There's God the Father and God the Son, but that God the Son would act as a father. In other words, he would protect and nourish his own forever. He would always provide security, provision, and protection, just like a father would for his family. If you compare this with Isaiah 63, 15, and the following verses. This attributes long life to the king, of course, because he's eternal. The Messiah would be a fatherly ruler, and this fatherly rule is to extend to all the people throughout the future ruler anticipated here. Now he's called the Prince of Peace. This characterizes the nature of his reign. So Jesus is the one who would bring in and maintain the time of millennial peace. So for true or genuine peace to occur, there needs to be a removal of the cause of war, and that's human sin. So the Hebrew Bible concept of peace implies wholeness, an environment in which the frustrating effects of the fall are minimized or eliminated. So Isaiah's hearers may have thought that peace could be secured by a righteous human king. Wrong. But their experience should have shown that then the futility of that hope. He would be the controller of the people's well-being and prosperity. And the Messiah would bring in and in maintain the time of millennial peace when the nation will be properly related to himself. So these names refer to the king as a source of economic, social, and political well-being. Wow. So Jesus, the, the, the Messiah, the king, would establish a safe socio-economic environment for his people, and God's people would have peace during the thousand-year millennium since Jesus will destroy their enemies at the second coming. You compare this with Psalm 72 
and Psalm 144. So chapter 9, verse 7. After the announcement of the child's birth, attention now is focused on the greatness of the child's authority. And this authority shows its greatness by the child's facility to wage endless peace for the throne and kingdom of David. Using language from the Davidic monarchy, this term alludes to a messianic king. And the messianic character of the text is further validated, confirmed, by the reference to the perpetual reign of justice and righteousness. Now compare this with Daniel 7, verses 14 and 27, Micah 4, verse 7, Luke 1, 33, and Revelation 11, 15. That the signature at the end, the Lord of hosts, finally makes perfectly clear who is the authority behind the text. Here there's a confession of faith that the Lord himself would establish this messianic king to rule in perpetuity. So he's the Lord of hosts. These are all the angelic armies. God is passionate for his children, and he is also powerful enough to bring about what is best for them. So take, take assurance in that thought, that truth from the word of God. So like the other prophets, Isaiah was not aware of the great time gap between Messiah's two advents. If you look at 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, and Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, that's where he went into, as was his custom, into Nazareth to read from the scroll. And then Isaiah 61, he read Isaiah 61, verses 1, and the first half of verse 2, and then he stopped mid midstream through verse 2. Because Isaiah 61, verses 1, and the first half of verse 2, refers to the first coming and then when it talks about vengeance toward the end of verse 2 that's not until the second coming so that little space between those two words halfway through verse 2 the entire church age fits in there same thing with Zechariah 9 9 and 9 10 that little eighth of an inch between the end of Zechariah 9 9 which is fulfilled on Palm Sunday when Jesus would come riding on a donkey and then verse 10 talks about him speaking peace to the nations. That won't occur until the future. So the little space in between Zechariah 9.9 and 9.10, the entire church age. And also Daniel 9.26, between the end of Daniel 9.26 and 9.27, same little eighth of an inch space, whatever it is. Uh, doesn't matter the size, but just a little space between the two verses. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? The entire church age fits in there. So a lot of examples of this. Same thing between Isaiah 9-6 and Isaiah 9-7. So before we close, I'd like to make you aware that Cornerstone Bible Institute offers courses online and live. If you heard me talk about this before, go on our website, check it out. We've recorded a bunch of classes already. I worked on that in the fall semester. I'm going to continue recording in the spring semester. So please go to www.cornerstonebibleinstitute.com to register. And also feel free to look up my website, askprofbrewer.com, where you'll find many resources for furthering your personal Bible study. And thanks to my three beloved brothers, uh, Phil in New Jersey, uh, Kadir, and, um, and, also, uh, and also my buddy uh, Mark, uh, I really appreciate all three of you uh, for just helping me with this website because I'm totally clueless. Actually, I'm clueless in most areas. 
I know a little bit about the Bible and theology, but hey, websites and how to do that, I don't know. So these three guys are amazing. They, they help with that. And also special thanks, call out to my, my girlfriend, who happens to be my wife, my girlfriend at 35 and a half years, my wife at 33 and a half, for lovingly uh, pushing me in a really gentle, loving way to do this uh, podcast. So I'm thankful to all these individuals. So thank you so much for joining me in today's Ask Prop Brewer. I appreciate you taking the time to listen in today's session. I'm going to see you next time. Shalom. Love you all. Bye-bye.